All right, let's open up our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Last week, we were talking about having your vessel bump. And in that sermon, I was talking about the issue of Abraham. And Abraham sometimes faltered in his faith, was not necessarily the guy who he wound up to be. And I really wanted to just expand on that because I think it has something to do with each and every one of us. And the title I gave this is, If You're Old, You're Ready. (laughs) So, and me being 60, I, I consider myself getting up there in age. Although a few of you have called me a kid. I take that as a compliment, but I don't feel like one. So let's look. I'm going to, we're not going to take the whole text, but I encourage you to go back and read the entire text. So let's start in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should hereafter receive for an inheritance, obeyed. If you're taking notes, underline that. And he went out not knowing whether he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who promised. Therefore sprang there even one and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the skies in multitude and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Here Paul is giving to us not so much a definition of faith, but he's In reality, he's given us a declaration as to what faith produces, what it does. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the word substance here. In some of your Bibles, you might see it might say substantiating. Some of your Bibles might say evidence. It is the essence, if you will, the conviction of things not seen. There's a lot of things, many things that I have not personally seen, nor you, but we believe in them. We're convicted of their existence. We know that they are true. Very clear evidence of the existence for God. Example. Even the Godhead, the Bible says, is evident. It's evidenced by the things which are made. We can know even the the fullness of Him. So I see the creation. I see the evidence of God that causes me to believe in God. And though I have never seen God, It is the evidence of his existence that creates that belief in me about him because I see the evidence of him. When you really think about it, there's many things that you cannot see that you believe in. Many people never give this. I've had people come up to me and go, if I could just see God, Doug, then I'd believe. 
Philip said the same thing. You remember that? Came to Jesus one day. And he said, Lord, just show us the Father and it will suffice. And Jesus, of course, said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. They had something we didn't. We, don't, we didn't get to walk with the Lord. That must have been an amazing time. But we still have the faith. We understand the evidence of his existence. And so we believe. Take the wind, for example. You can't see it, but you see the effect of it. You see it blow the trees. You see it move. You feel it brush up against your skin. If you've ever been to the beach, I love sitting on the beach with my toes in the sand and just let the wind coming off of that just brush against my face. You know it's there. You can't see it. But you see the existence of it, the evidence of it, and it's, you believe it. There's forces in the world that you cannot see, but you see the effect of gravity. I've often said, you know, gravity is a... You know, it's a, it, it affects everyone, even though you can't see it. If you step off the 88th floor or the 88th floor, the effect of it will be the same. But you know it's there. We simply see the effect of the forces. We see them when, and we believe them because we see the effect. Magnets are a great one. When you see two polar opposites, you put two magnets close, they will attract each other. And sometimes they attract each other with great force can't see the force, but you know it's there. If you've ever been in a car, and I know most of us have, turn a corner real fast. You'll feel yourself being pushed to the side. We call that inertia. You can't feel it. You can't, I mean, you feel it, but you can't see it, but you believe in it. And so we see the evidence of God. We feel the presence of God. We feel the power of God. We feel the love of God. I know we don't walk by feelings, but these are things that are evidence. They're part of that evidence that we have. We look at creation. We see the evidence of God, thus we believe. And though we've never seen God, we have faith in Him. I don't doubt His existence because we are surrounded by the evidence of God. It's abundantly clear. Thus, faith and believing is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. Look at verse 6. He says, but without faith it is impossible if you take a note, you need to underline that. It is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must, underline that, must believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. If you look up to verse 5 there, which wasn't in our text, but if you just look at that. I love what Paul the Apostle here says about Enoch. He says, by faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death. And was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony. That he pleased God. You see, before Enoch was taken, we're told that he had a testimony. And his testimony was that he pleased the Lord. He pleased God. Thus, because of verse 6, we can deduct that Enoch was a man who was full of faith. He was a man who pleased the Lord. He loved God. You need to remind yourselves that faith and believing really in the Greek is the same word. It's basically the same. It's synonymous one with the other. We're told even in the book of James that Abraham believed God and it was imputed to him for righteousness. He believed God. Now, there is a vast difference, my friends, in believing in God and believing God. What's the difference, Doug? It's simple. It's very simple. You can believe in God and not believe God. James makes this extremely clear that it takes little to no faith to believe in God. 
Matter of fact, in James 2.19, you can write it down. I'll read it for you. He says, Thou believest there's one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. You see, even the devils believe in God, but they do not believe God. They're not listening to him. They are simply acknowledging his existence. And too often today, gang, that's the case of a lot of Christians or people who profess to be. They simply acknowledge. You know, I heard an old preacher say many years ago, and I've never forgot it, that many will miss heaven by 18 inches. That's the distance between the head and the heart because they really only believe in God. They are making a, a, a mental acknowledgement of his existence. Well, the devils do the same thing. It means nothing. It takes very little faith to do that. Look at verse 8 here in Hebrews. He says, By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should afterward receive for an inheritance, he obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whether he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles. Of course, that's tents for those might say in your Bible. And he did that with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise, for he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. The apostle here is being inspired, of course, by the Holy Spirit. And he gives us this great testament of faith and the obedience of Abraham. To have a clear picture of this great patriarch, because I love Abraham. I want to take you back and look at what God originally said to him in Genesis chapter 12. Turn with me, if you will, there. And we're going to pick it up in verse 1. When the Lord first begins to speak to him directly. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, and here's what it says. Now the Lord had said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and I will make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and I will curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. If you are above 60, from now on I want you to take special note of what we're going to be talking about. That God often waits until we are in the twilight of our years before he decides to do anything with you in an extraordinary way. You see it over and over in the scriptures. This brings me to my first point. Abraham was obedient. We can't underestimate obedience. We, liked, we understand that Christ obeyed the law for all of us. We understand that. But there is that obedience to the simple yielding of ourselves to the word of God and to the direction of God. It seems like a no-brainer to us who love the Word of God and who are nurtured in it and are into it all the time. It seems like a no-brainer, but I'm telling you today it is not so, my friends. In order to be obedient, there must be a command, an order, or a direction. There has to be something given in order for you to be obedient to it. You can't be obedient to a thought or to an abstract idea about God. There must be clear instruction or commandment which you are called to be obedient to. Here recently, it's not in my notes, I'm going to give it to you for free. 
Here recently, there was posted an article by a man by the name of Benjamin Corey, a young pastor, a local guy, posted it and it's saying that he agreed with it. And in this article, Benjamin Corey, and for those of us who study, this man is an absolute heretic. He denies the inerrancy of scripture. He denies the virgin birth. He denies the Trinity. He denies every major doctrine in Christendom. And yet he wrote this article because he still claims to be a Christian. And he, what he said in this article was that, I do not want to have a biblical worldview. Matter of fact, what he said was, not only do I not want to have a biblical worldview, I do not want to do what the Word of God says. Here's what he said after that. I just want to follow Jesus. I was sharing this with my daughter, and my daughter tells me, you cannot separate Jesus from his Word. Amen! You can't separate Jesus from his word. Listen, what he is is a believer in God. But he's not a believer of God. He doesn't believe God. Abraham was called. He was obedient. There's many people today in Christendom that claim to be ministers of the Lord. They hold the written word in their hand. But my friends, they do not believe it. And they act accordingly. In fact, we're getting to the point today where those of us who believe in the inerrancy of Scripture... I believe that the word of God is absolutely true. Every word, every jot, every tittle. And I base that on 38 years of, of, of study. I've seen the effect of it. The evidence of the word of God is powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to divide asunder between the, the soul and the spirit. It changes people. It transforms people. But not many today believe it. If you remember the story, it's found in Samuel about Saul. Saul was a guy who was kind of that way. Oh, he wanted to be obedient. He said he did. If you remember the story, it's found in 1 Samuel. I'll just, I'll just give it to you. I'll tell you. Saul, of course, had been made king. Now, when Saul was first called to be king, if you remember the story, he was small in his own eyes, the Bible said. He really didn't think he was worthy to be king. And so he was humble in the beginning. And yet God anointed him and made him king over Israel. Well, after he'd been king for quite some time, the Lord gave him a commandment. There was a group of people, a whole generation, by the name of the Amalekites. I won't get into how detestable they were and the ungodly things. The Bible simply says that, that the sins that they were committing actually defiled the very ground. God gave Saul a command. He said, go and wipe them out. Some people don't like that, but that's the way it was. This is what the commandment was. And so Saul took the people and he went and made war. And here he comes back. And he's coming back, and Samuel, of course, the prophet, goes out to meet him. And here comes Samuel, or Saul, and Saul is rejoicing, and the people are with him. And, and all of a sudden, you know, he sees Samuel coming, and he goes, I have kept the words of the Lord. I have fulfilled the commandments. And Samuel, of course, being the prophet that he was, puts one finger to his ears, and he says, Then what is this bleeding of the sheep that I hear? And what does Saul do? Saul says, Oh, wait a minute. We, the people only kept the good, the good stuff. You know, he wouldn't even take responsibility for being the guy who told him they kept the good stuff. We're going to sacrifice it to the Lord, you see. 
And here he had the king with him. He had Agag with him. And here's what Samuel says to him. First Samuel 15, you can write it down, chapter, verse 22. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as the iniquity of idolatry because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord. He hath also rejected thee from being king. You see, my friend Saul was partially obedient. But he had no intention of being totally obedient. Saul had ambition. Saul had things that he wanted. He was more concerned with his own than in obeying the voice of the Lord. Thus, his partial obedience in reality was total disobedience. He had no intention of doing what God had told him to do. Saul, when he got there, saw an opportunity to further Saul. And that's unfortunate because that's many people today within the body of Christ. We're even told in the book of Thessalonians that in the last days many shall depart from the truth, not giving heed to the word of God. They'll simply heap teachers to themselves having itching ears. You're living it. Saul was the same way. In contrast to Saul, and of course, before I go on, when you look at Saul, what happened to him because of this? The last time you see Saul mentioned in the word of God, a man who started off humble, Samuel even told him, when thou wert small in your own sight, the Lord made thee king of Israel. See, when he was humble, I like what the word of God says. Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. You know? Humble yourself in the sight of the When he was humble, God used him. But then he got off. He became very self-centered. And how did it end? He ended on his own sword. And not only did he die on his own sword, but there was an Amalekite there. He wasn't even dead. He couldn't even kill himself. That's how bad he wound up. He didn't finish well. That an Amalekite was the one who actually wound up killing him. Because if he had kept the word of the Lord... There would have been no reason for him to fall on his sword. There would have been no Amalekite there to finish him off. So his own demise, because of his own disobedience. In contrast, though, Abraham was so... I guess Samuel, or, or, or Abraham in the beginning, was also partially obedient. Didn't really do everything that the Lord told him to do. You see, the Lord told him, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. Yet Abraham took not only his father, but he took Lot, and he took some of his other family with him. And he wound up staying in Haran. And he stayed in Haran somewhere around five years. The city of Haran, I think, is very interesting to me because in the Hebrew, it comes from the word ka'aran. And that comes from the root word of ka'ara, which means to be dry, means to burn. When we walk in partial disobedience, when we walk in partial or even flat-out disobedience or sin, it is like living in Haran. It is a dry, desolate place. There's no inspiration there. You certainly will not see the blessing of the Lord. You won't feel it. Even if God is pouring it out on you, you won't experience it because it's a dry, barren place to be. I've had people ask me, why did God ask Abraham to leave his father? 
it seems kind of unreasonable. Why would God call anybody to leave their family? Well, in, in, in Abraham's case, I think it's a simple answer. You can find it in Joshua 24 too. His, his dad, Terah, was an idolater. Matter of fact, in Jewish history, we have this book called the Midrash Rabbah. And basically, it's a commentary. It kind of explains uh, the Talmud, and I won't get into all that, but it's a tradition. And what it says in, in Jewish tradition is not only was Terah an idolater, but that Terah actually had a factory, if you will. He had a shop where he actually carved and made idols. And the only one of his children that was totally against it was Abraham. Now, his father was a bad influence, but he went with Abraham. He took him. Which brings me to my second point. He's there in Haran for five years. And when he was 75, when he had come to maturity, Abraham departed. The Lord told Abraham to move on. He was 75 years old, and he was ready. You know, sometimes maturity takes a long time. Sometimes it takes a whole long time. Some of you may have been living in Haran. Surely some people living in Haran who are listening by radio know exactly what I'm talking about. They've been there a long time. It's a dry place. You know when you're there. Some of you have reached that golden age and the stage of your years and of your life. And perhaps you think maybe that it's too late to move on. Maybe you think that the calling that God has placed upon your life, you missed it. I've heard people tell me this. I missed my calling. Maybe you've heard somebody say something similar. Nothing, my friends, could be further from the truth. The Bible says just the opposite. Abraham was obedient. We're going to see this here in a minute. He was obedient. Was he partially obedient? Yeah. But his intention was to do what God wanted him to do, totally unlike Saul. His in heart, God knows the heart. Men judge by the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. He knows because he's sovereign. He knows, and he knows the calling that he's put on each and every one of your lives. He still knows. Even if you've been living in Haran, even if you are resting even if you've been doing it for a long time, God still knows. Romans eleven twenty nine 29 says that the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. I'm so thankful for that because I myself had had my time in Haram. And it is a dry, desolate place, my friends. But we all probably have had that journey. And even if you stayed there, even if you rested in the journey, took a detour into sin, God is simply calling us to come out of there. His gifting, his, his presence in your life is still there. But sometimes we've got to get up, we've got to be obedient to the heavenly call, move on before you're going to hear that and to be fulfilled by it. Look at verse 5 there in Genesis 12. It says, And Abraham took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their substance and that they had gathered and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. And they went forth to go into the land of Canaan. And into the land of Canaan they came. And Abraham passed through the land unto the place of Shechem. Unto the plain of Moreh. And the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abraham. If you're taking notes, make note of that. He appeared unto Abraham. Before I go on, I'm going to give you a side study. Eventually, you're going to run into someone who's going to say, well, 
I'd believe the Bible, but it's full of contradictions. I always love that one. And they'll usually point to something like this, that the Lord appeared to Abraham. Well, how's that a contradiction? Because the Bible tells us in the Gospel of John that no man has seen God at any time. That's what it says. And yet the Bible will also tell you that Moses spoke with God face to face. Yet we're told in the Gospel of John that no man has seen God at any time. Reconcile it, Christian. Because sooner or later, somebody's going to ask you, you need to be able to defend the Word of God. Why is it that people come to these conclusions? There's contradiction because they don't read on. Read on, brother, read on. In John, it says, no man has seen God at any time, but the only begotten Son of God, he hath declared him. In the Greek, brother, it means made seen. So when Moses spoke with God face to face, who was it that he spoke with? He spoke with Jesus Christ face to face, a pre-appearing before his incarnation. Yes, we call it a Christ type in the Bible. That excites me, man. I don't know about you, but when Moses was speaking with God at the burning bush, remember, the burning bush was a thorn bush. And God spoke to him through it. It happened 2,000 years later again when God spoke to man through a thorn but that would be on the cross of Calvary when Jesus was wearing it on his head. When Abraham, when God appeared to him here, it was Christ that appeared to him. Everything that can be known of God, when God speaks to us, he speaks to us through his son. Jesus, matter of fact, the Bible says he is the incarnate word. He is the Logos. Every word, Jesus even said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. I haven't always been obedient to every word out of the mouth of God, but I have always believed every word out of the mouth of God. Some of the greatest men in the Bible haven't always been obedient, but they believed. I believe it. Sold. Convinced. The Lord appeared unto Abraham, look at verse 7, and said unto, unto thy seed... I will give this land. And there built it an altar. He built an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence unto a mountain that was called Bethel, at the east of Bethel. And pitched a tent. Having Bethel on the west side and Hai on the east. And there he built an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. In verse 1. The Lord spoke to Abraham. And Abraham believed. And he was obedient to the heavenly call. When he was old and when he was ready, God appeared to him. Which brings me to my third point. Abraham believed. And then he received the promise. He was obedient. He believed. He received the promise. In verse 7, the Lord appeared unto Abraham and gave him the promise of the Messiah. For he said unto him, unto thy seed, I will give this land, not to seeds as of many, but seed as of one, which is Christ. After the Lord appeared to Abraham, everywhere Abraham went after that, I love it. Because every time I get to teach through the book of Genesis, I love pointing this out. That everywhere he went when he was sojourning in the land, he built an altar unto the Lord. You could say that Abraham's life, once he left Haran, once he had gotten off his laurels, if you will, and began to really serve the Lord, he had an altered life. That's the way he lived. He, his life was totally dedicated to God. He wasn't building houses. 
though he had a beautiful tract of land that was enormous that God had given to him. He didn't build a house. He lived in a tabernacle. He built a tent. Turn with me, if you will, as we finish this up in Hebrews 11. Let's go back to our main text. Through faith, verse 11, also Sarah herself received strength to conceive and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even one and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. I don't know about you, my friends, but I feel that way. I've come to that place in my life where I am a sojourner in this land. I realize that we have been from the day one as we accepted Christ, but it's become more real to me. Even the, the, you know, the, the, the great hymn, Amazing Grace, is, you know, you know, we believe more now than, you know, than when we first believed. It's more real to me because I see the evidence of prophecies that are given, how many are turning away from the word of God. Sarah believed God. Though she was late in life and in her 90s, in actuality, according to Genesis, and I've always found this to be interesting, when the Lord was speaking to Abraham, you remember when the angel came to Abraham and began to give him the prophecy of the coming of Isaac. And he said that your, your wife Sarah is going to bear you a son. And she was eavesdropping. It's a wife's prerogative, you know that, men, right? <laughs> she was eavesdropping. And when she heard that, she laughed. And the angel knew she laughed, and he even asked her, why laughest thou? I didn't laugh. <laughs> That's what she said. No, it wasn't me. <laughs> and yet when Isaac was born, they called him Isaac because it means son of laughter. Moses spent the first 40 years of his life believing wholeheartedly that he was somebody only to spend the next 40 years of his life on the backside of the desert being nobody. To spend the last 40 years of his life proving that God takes nobodies and does something extraordinary for his kingdom. It's never too late. When you're old, that's when you're ready. But first it takes obedience, my friends. Then when you're old and thoroughly mature in the Lord. And keep it in mind, that doesn't always mean chronological dating, you see. I've seen men who are mature beyond their age in the Lord and they're still young physically. Praise God for men like that. Those are guys. But I am a firm believer that we're living in such a time when the young, there's an old saying that youth is wasted on the young. But those of us who are old men of God, that God now is going to rise up and raise up an army of elderly men, men who are respected. Not that he's not going to use young ones, but it's going to be our chance and our calling to
to nurture them younger guys and to bring them up and to give them the experience and to place in them that total trust in the word of God so that we can make those guys to be disciplers of other men. It takes obedience. And when you're mature, you'll be ready to leave Haran on your way to accomplish what the Lord has called you to do. For Abraham, it would be for him to become the father of a great nation and to be the patriarch of all those who are called to walk by faith. For Sarah, it would be to give the birth to a son through whom the lineage of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, would eventually come. So in closing this morning, i got a question for you. As a man of God, what is it that God has called you to do? Regardless of your age, whether you're sitting here or listening by radio, regardless of your age, God has called you to be obedient to the heavenly call and to his word. Peter told the church to make your calling and election sure. Some of us have been living in Haran. Some of us have been living there for a long time. But now is the time to quit ye like men, the Bible says. We need to stand up like men, like men of God, with the word of God in one hand and the Holy Spirit in our heart to motivate us to speak that which is true. Because you're going to have opposition, my friends. You're going to have opposition. And it's becoming greater and greater today. Matter of fact, the Bible says that those who do good will be evil spoken of. Because we have faith in the word of God. Ladies, some of you are in the twilight of your years. Some of you have been doing it a long time and you've been serving, but you too. What is it that the Lord has called you to do? Sarah was nigh unto 100 years old and gave birth. Now God... Sarah laughed too. <laughs> no doubt that was a special because it brought us Jesus Christ. But ladies, consider this. Maybe God has called you to birth something that is more extraordinary than yourself, something that is greater than yourself, something that will take the step of faith to sojourn in the land that maybe we have to dwell in tents for a while. And if we are patient, we will reap if we faint not. The gifts and the callings of God are without repentance, but it takes obedience to his word. It takes obedience to his word. It takes maturity in Christ. And then we will see the promise. Now I realize that these received the land Abraham did, but he never saw the total fulfillment. That is the coming of the Messiah. But we're told in the scripture that they saw it afar off. They embraced it as though it had already happened. Thus they were saved by faith and by grace the same way we are. Because they looked forward to it. The calling is great. And the calling is without repentance. If, it, if you had it on your life, and I know you do, it is still there. Regardless of what you're, where you've been, however long you've been in Haran and for whatever reason. Whether it was self-inflicted or maybe you were there by another means, it doesn't matter. God will still use you. We just have to get up, be obedient, and do what it is that God has called us to do.
Let's spread the word of God. Let's raise up men and women of God. We're living in a time, my friends, when it's going to get harder and harder to stand up without opposition. But greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I watch the news so many times and I see so many brothers and sisters who are literally giving their life for the cause of Christ and for his word while we have those here in our own country who will stand up and tell you why the Bible isn't even true and yet they'll stand behind a pulpit. That's a scary fact, but it's true. But God has called us to do something better, something greater. Even though we might be a little up in the age, God uses those who are mature to do something extraordinary for the kingdom of God. Father, we love you and we praise you. Lord, we thank you that age means nothing to you. But so often, Lord Father, you will wait until we are unable to do anything ourselves. And Lord, we are totally dependent upon you and we're good with that. Because Lord Father, it is your word that nourishes us. It is your word that strengthens us. It is your word that directs us back to Jesus Christ. Lord, be with your people this morning. I pray that you would be with those who are listening by radio. If they don't know you, Lord, I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would draw them unto yourself. And those who have been living in Haran, Lord Father, who have been stagnant for so many years, I pray, Lord Father, that you would stir them, regardless of their age, that they would rise up, Lord, and lead other people back to you. In Jesus' name, amen.